Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. into the drought of summer, Selah. It's like a plant that's not getting enough water and it starts to wilt. He's liking that, that spiritual sustenance, that relational strength, that emotional strength we have when we are in fellowship with God and, and we're walking in fellowship and we're not being characterized by sinfulness. And he said, I, I got into a situation where my sinful situation was, was drying me out. Fellowship between me and God had been affected, and I was like a plant just drying out in the hot summer. By the way, there is such a thing as the fall, isn't it? It is coming. You know, this is October 2nd. It's 90-some degrees again. What's, what's going on here? Man, I tell you what, I'm waiting for it. I love fall's my favorite time of year if it ever gets here. I acknowledge my sin unto these. Going vertical here. Talking to God. And mine iniquity have I not hid. Now, let's pause here just a second. Let's just pause again. This is David. There's five major characters of the Old Testament. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. Those are your five major figures in the Old Testament. Jesus is the son of David. This is the only true royal line. You may have found out you have royal blood. Well, you're half your father. You're a fourth your grandfather. You're an eighth your great-grandfather. After a while, who cares? I supposedly got royal blood in my line, but it's man-made royal blood. Amen? There's only one true royal line. By the way, we are a royal priesthood. We are, we are kings and priests according to Revelation 1, 1 Peter 2, etc. So we're royalty the things of Christ. But David is the head of the dynasty that gave us the Messiah. This is one of the most important figures in history. In a few days, we'll be thinking about the birth of Christ. Joseph's in his carpenter shop. Somebody shows up and says, Hail thou son of David. There had been no Jewish king on the throne for over 500 years. And David is suddenly brought up to Joseph. You're in the royal line. And guess what? The woman you're about to marry is going to have the Messiah. This is not just anybody. This is a man who wrote Psalm 23. And he's talking about sin in his life. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgave forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Think about that, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray to thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. Now stop, just for a second. Cody Jones accused me of using cross-references. I don't want to let him down. Turn to 2 Samuel 23 for just a second. 
2 Samuel 23. I just want you to again stop and think about who we're talking about. Look at 2 Samuel 23. Look at these words. Just to keep pulling you in. When we think about David, we used to think about two things right off the bat. We think about David and Goliath. We think about David and Bathsheba. Does this pop up? Boy, what a contrast. Look at 2 Samuel 23. Look at verse 1. Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, how's that for an introduction? This is David. The Spirit of the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. That sounds like holy man of God being moved by the Holy Spirit. His word, his word was in my tongue. These are these psalms we're looking at, these are most of these are ones he wrote. And he would pray, he would hold that harp next to his head and, and when, he's, when he's praying and pray that harp where he, only he could hear it, he, could, he would just sing his prayers to God. It was an amazing thing when you see how that would have taken place when you have somebody show you that culture and stuff. Besides the big harp that would have been played. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. He that rules over man must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he goes on and talks about how the sunrise is like a picture of the greater David, the Messiah. This is an unusual man. This is a very special man. For just a few moments, just imagine David never lived. Just take David out of the Bible. Think how many stories we wouldn't have. Think how many things we wouldn't have. Think how many psalms we wouldn't have. Look at verse 8. Some people think that this is God stepping in and speaking. When you read the psalm, sometimes the psalmist is speaking and then God speaks in the psalm. You say, that's kind of strange. Yeah, but you see, this is not just the words of David. These are the words of God through David. His word was in my tongue. Divine inspiration, divine enablement. This is a supernatural book. Amen? Amen? Cross-reference time. I wouldn't have done this, but I got egged on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We got 29 minutes. We're okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I love this. I love this passage where it acknowledges what you and I hear from time to time. Paul makes this statement. And by the way, the New Testament writers believe the Old Testament was the Word of God. Okay? Okay? Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2. For this cause also thank we God, without ceasing, Paul says, to this church in Thessalonica. Because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of man. Now why would he say that? Because God used man to write it. But it wasn't just the word of man. But as it is in truth, the Word of God, this is the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. All right, go back to Psalm 32. So God could be speaking here, or David assumes the role of instructing. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. 
a very personal tutorship. Be ye not as the horse. Wow. I've told you the first time I learned how to ride a horse was outside of a supermarket, a grocery store. Well, I saw Kelly Clark over there, and I thought he was riding that. There was a, there was a, a pig right there and a horse. I saw him. It was a young boy. He was riding it, and I thought, hmm, it looks like he's going to be a rodeo guy someday, the way he's riding that thing. So I put a nickel in there, and I took off. It went up to, but later on it got to be a dime and stuff, whatever. And the horses didn't get any bigger. You know, they've caught up with this. They started putting these big old bowls and you can ride a mechanical bowl. I've never done that. The first time I got on a real horse, I didn't realize how wide they were. I got on there and went, whoa, no wonder cowboys walk like this. You know? I got on there and this horse was 25 years old, but it was a horse. The name was Elmer's Glue. But anyway, I got on a horse and that horse turned its head. And I thought, well, they're pretty strong. This is a 25-year-old horse. I thought, it's pretty strong. Her name was Lucy. And then when I, I was like 13, it was the first time I actually started riding horses outside of going around in a circle at a little children's uh, circus park. And uh, she would never run. She would canter. That's why I, boy, I just, man, look at that. Look like, you know. But uh, it's amazing. You control a horse with a little bit in its mouth. You know what I'm saying? He said, don't be like a horse. Now, I got on a horse later. I've never been on one again, but we'll leave that for another time. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle. God wants you to understand. God doesn't want you to disbehave because you're afraid of him. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he that trusteth the Lord, mercy not getting the punishment you deserve, mercy, not getting the punishment you deserve, shall compass him about. I want to tell you not every one of us has been encircled by the mercy of God. Amen? Man, if I even came close to getting what I deserve, I couldn't come in close to this building this, in this pulpit, etc. Be glad in the Lord, folks. You better learn to be glad in the Lord because you don't always have other things to be glad in. But you can always be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Great psalm. Great psalm. Now we know Psalm 51 was written after David's horrible sin with Bathsheba and having her husband killed to cover his sin. Psalm 32, some think very possibly also was written that time. Some have suggested Psalm 103, etc., but if it wasn't that, it was something. Because look what he says. Go back to verse number one. Blessed is he who, number one, transgressions is forgiven. If you're here tonight and you're saved, that's you. Your transgression. You say, well, that's singular. Well, every transgression, that's the principle. Your transgression is forgiven. Number two, whose sin is covered. Now, we know by New Testament truth, covered by the blood... Okay, a New Testament sense, it's even removed, it's blotted out, your sins. I love that passage in Colossians that says that he blotted out the, 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 the ordinances, the laws that we broke. He blotted out those things that were against us, nailing them to his cross. Amen. Do you know when those guys drove those nails through the hands of Jesus and his feet? They were nailing their sins to the cross and didn't even know it. Amen? When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he included the people who had ripped out his beard 
jammed the crown of thorns on his head, spit in his face, mocked him and laughed at him, pulled the robe off his back after the blood had coagulated and ripped it back open again, beat him with a whip, etc. Father, forgive them. Amen. Amen. Number three, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Did you get that? Notice that word imputeth. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. And because of these things, because we're forgiven, because I have nothing to do with it, I am no better than people in hell tonight suffering the wrath of God. The people in heaven are no better than the people in hell. The difference is, number one, their transgression is forgiven. Number two, their sin is covered. Number three, they have not had their sin, their iniquity imputed to them. Now, we're going to cross-reference in just a few moments to Romans chapter 4. Extremely important passage. But I just want you to kind of take a little journey with me for just a few moments, okay? Go to Psalm 37 right there. There are several passages in the Bible. We'll look at a couple, two or three. We'll refer to them. That definitely teach once saved, always saved. Once rescued, always rescued. Once delivered, always delivered. And I thank God for passages that come out like the one we're going to read and just, just tell us that. But I love passages more that tell me why it's that way. Did you hear what I said? It's wonderful when the Bible comes right out and says, this is what it means to be saved. And we're going to see it. Okay, we're going to see some statements. But it doesn't tell you why in that passage. I want you to stay with me for just a few moments and I want you to see doctrinally, objectively, why you cannot lose your salvation. What is the mechanics behind it? What makes this thing run, so to speak? Look at Psalm 37. Great psalm. Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, if I've only got a few minutes, I'll go to a passage like this. And to just give them a little bit of assurance. And I hope to be able to come back and share with them more along the line we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But look at verse 23 of Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he should not be what? Utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Now that's pretty good. He should not be utterly cast down. Look at verse 28. For the Lord loveth judgment. He's fair. He's equitable. And forsaketh not his what? Saints. He said, well, there you go, Brother Stuart. I mean, what's a saint? You know what Psalm 50 verse 5 says? Psalm 50 verse 5. Blessed are those... Turn there. You got, just look at it real quick. Because sometimes when you see it, as Dr. Barber says, the eyes are better people than the ear. Look at verse 5. Gather my saints together unto me. Here it is. Those... What are saints? Here's your Bible definition. Those that have made a covenant with me by what? How many have made a covenant with God and not by sacrifice? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's called the New Covenant, the New Testament. When you got saved, you entered into the New Covenant, the New Testament. You have 27 books that describe it. M Matthew to Revelation. That's your contract with God. All right? You're a saint if you're saved because you've been set apart, sanctified. You're in Christ. That's the definition. So now go back and read Psalm 37, verse 28. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his what? Those that have made a covenant with him by sacrifice. You have the Lord's Supper here. Jesus said, this is the New Testament. This is the blood of the New Covenant, the New Testament. That's the blood of Christ. You've trusted Christ. They are preserved how long? 
forever. You know how long forever is? It's forever. Forever is forever. They are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. See the context backs it up. The seed of the wicked, the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. But the saints are preserved forever. That's a great declaration, amen? amen. And technically, that's all I need. But remember, David talked about understanding. Understanding. We're going to go back to a phrase. Are you with me? Are we all right? Everybody, is it making sense? All right. Don't turn there. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says that whatsoever God does, he does forever, and man cannot add to it. Jonah said salvation is of the Lord. In chapter 2, that's when he was dealing with the whale. You know, the Bible says you must be born again. doesn't say and again and again and again and again. If you lose it, you have to be born again, then again. See, I mean, it gets kind of silly after a while. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but hath what? Everlasting. If you can lose it, it, it was never everlasting. Okay? These are statements, and they're good statements, and they're, they're, they're good. But the Bible just doesn't tell us what's right. It also tells us why it's right. Okay? Keep following. We know about being in the hand of Jesus, John chapter 10, and being in the Father's hand. If you're in the hand of Jesus and Jesus is in the Father's hand, you can't lose salvation. Amen? Who's, who's going to take you out of the Father's hand? Who's going to take you out of Jesus' hand? John chapter 10. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 38, 39. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, in, which is in Christ Jesus. That's my standing Christ. Amen? Amen? Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing! Amen. Nor height, nor depth, any creature, nothing. Flip over to this one. This is good. These two are good. And then we're going to come back and look at this amazing passage. Wow. This, the, oh, by the way, remember... This was a song they sang. Amen? It's amazing. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Look at this verse. 1 John 3. Not John, but 1 John. Almost all the way to Revelation. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 9. Remember? What did... What did <laughs> Nicodemus started bragging on Jesus, so to speak. He said, wow, we know you're of God because of these miracles you do. No man can do these miracles unless they're of God. Jesus said, you must be born again. <laughs> you know, and Nicodemus said, you mean enter back into my mother's womb and stuff? Jesus talked about being born again. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm not one of those born again Christians. Well, if you're not one of those born-again Christians, you may not be a real Christian because that was a, that was the phrase Jesus used, not Jimmy Carter. Okay? That was Jesus who said, ye must be born again. Somebody walked up to, to a John Wesley years ago and said, why do you go around preaching everywhere telling people they've got to be born again? You must be born again. Why do you keep doing that? Because he said, you must be born again. Okay? All right, look at 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit. What? What? Now, some people say, well, that means in a continual sense. I mean, I mean, you're a Christian, and, and you know, you're going to commit sin, but basically you're slant. Read, read the rest of the verse. That's true. There's a sense in which we still, you know, sin even though we're saved, and we can't sin in a sense, but I mean, not in a continual way, but watch. It's actually stronger than that. 
Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin for his, that is God's seed, that new nature, that new nature you got when you got saved, remaineth in him. See, I'm talking to people tonight who have a fallen nature. You're not going to lose that till the rapture. Hallelujah. Wow. Isn't that something? You know what what 2 Peter 3 says about heaven where we're going? Wherein dwelleth righteousness. There'll be no fallen creatures in heaven. But if you're saved, you also have a risen nature. And there's warfare, Galatians 5, between those two natures. If you feed the new nature, your life will be characterized by the things of the Lord more so. If you don't feed the new nature, it's going to be characterized by the works of the flesh. It's what's on TV tonight. Do you realize that TV is made for the masses, so most of the stuff on the TV set has to appeal to the works of the flesh, or they wouldn't watch it? Just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to rebuke you. I'm, not, I'm just making that point. Just think about it. His seed remaineth in him. And look what it says. And he cannot. It doesn't say he doth not. It says he cannot. It's one thing to say he doesn't. He doesn't. Okay? Like if I'm in a quartet and you say, Brother Stewart, you're going to do the baritone. You would say, he doth not sing baritone. And I would say, not only do I do not sing baritone, I cannot sing baritone. I can't hear it. To me, that's the hardest part to sing. Okay? Especially when the people you're singing with don't sing with what's written. It's one thing to say somebody does not do something. It's another thing to say they cannot do something. Am I right? Look what it says here. It's okay to get excited about eternal security, isn't it? Because usually I'm kind of calm. I don't don't usually, usually, okay, look at verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, the new nature, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Your new nature, Peter says, you have been made a partaker, you have been made a partaker of the divine nature. That doesn't mean you're omnipotent, you're omnipotent. It means morally. You have this new nature, and you know what? Your new man can't sin. Your new man can't sin. That new nature can't sin. If it could, it'd sin in heaven. So now, Brother Stuart. Hey, did the angels sin in heaven? Did the angels, the third of the angels, did they sin in heaven? Yes. What happened to them? They're not there anymore. Your new nature cannot sin. When you sin, it's your old nature. You're one person, but you've got two natures. You've got the fallen nature and you've got the new nature. Amen? And there's a, there's a struggle. That's why you need to meet the Lord in the morning. Stay in touch with Him throughout the day. Okay? Now, those are good things. Let me give you one. Well, let's go to Jude. Since we're right there, I love this one. I always like to read this when my wife's in the audience. You see, my wife lives with me. <laughs> We've been married 40 years this coming July. And we dated through, I don't know, three years or so before that. Okay? And my wife will tell you that I'm not perfect. I have a couple flaws that surface occasionally. One of them is I snore. But anyway, all right. Look at Jude. She's got those earplug things down, okay? But anyway. Real man snore, by the way. All right. Being silly here. Look at verse number. Look at verse 24. Any chapter you want, just verse 24. Look at this. This is amazing. These are great statements, but we're going to get behind these statements just for a second. Now unto him that is able to keep you from what? Falling. Are you ready? And to present you faultless. 
<laughs> Faultless. Before the presence of his glory. Paul told Timothy that God dwells in light that no man can approach unto. Someday, Jesus is going to present me to the Father, and he's going to present me as faultless. Why? Because I'm in Christ. I have his righteousness. I have the new nature that's born of God. He's going to present me faultless before his glory. That means with all the light shining, x-ray, infrared, whatever wave band you want to bring in, all light. I'm there. I mean, the God of the universe is looking at me. And Jesus said, faultless. And look what it says, with exceeding joy. It's not going to be, come here. Get up there. I'm standing there. Look at the Father. Faultless. Next. No. Exceeding joy. Now, one more thing before we go back to our text. You know the tenth commandment says, Thou shalt not covet? That means we're not just sinners by our deeds, but we're sinners by our desire. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with improper thoughts, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Just the thought. God holds us accountable for our thought life. If it was possible for you to live an entire life and never sin, but on your deathbed think a wrong thought, you can't go to heaven. Remember the gospel says Jesus knew their thoughts? Jesus knew their thoughts. You know Psalm 139 says God knows what you're going to say before it's even formed in your mouth. God sees all things. We are naked before God, the Bible says. He knows your thoughts before you have your thoughts. If God holds us accountable for our thought life, who on earth could keep their salvation? If, if you could sin, you say, well, there's different kinds of sins. There's venial sins. There's mortal sins. If you could sin and lose your salvation, guess what? Nobody's going to be in heaven of the human race. It's impossible. You see, when, they're, when they're, Romans 10, when you're ignorant of God's righteousness, how high it is, you go about to establish your own. You know why I don't go about to establish my own righteousness? Because I know how high it is, and all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And in Romans 3, that's his righteousness. That's the context, his glory. Amen? Amen. Could you imagine standing up next to Jesus Christ and said, okay, stand up beside Christ. Let's see how you measure up. Are you kidding? You know, Romans 3 says that Jesus Christ is even a greater show of God's righteousness than the law was. He was the law. He was the Ten Commandments with skin on. Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Wow. So, if you could lose your salvation, guess what? We'd all lose it. Because thou shalt not covet. Does that make sense? Now, as good as those are, and I gave you a quick one, there's others, some you could pull in. Go to Romans 4. This is a better, deeper explanation about why you can't lose your salvation. In the first five chapters of Romans, you're getting the world saved. Okay? You got three representatives that represent the entire world. Everybody fits one of those three categories. I mean, everybody's in one of those three. They get saved, 
And the first thing you want to do is you want to get them baptized. Why? You want to illustrate their brand new standing. When you got saved, you got a brand new standing. You're in Christ. I don't want to go into this because of time, and you've heard it so many times here. You know, when I got married, I acted like it. My father-in-law did the porch light routine. At 10 o'clock, she went in. And you know why she went in? I wanted to see her again. But when I got married, the porch light stopped. In fact, I didn't take her home, and he didn't come after her. Why? Because I got a new standing. She got a new standing. We became married. Amen? The Bible uses that, by the way, analogy. We're married to Christ, Romans 7, etc. When you got saved, brethren, you have to master Romans 6. It's one of the most important chapters of the Bible. If we had time, we would study Romans, Brother Wiggins, and then we'd come back to study Romans 6, 7, 8 for the whole semester. If you don't know Romans 6, 7, 8, you haven't got it yet. You're saved, but you don't really understand the Christian life. You got a brand new standing, and in chapter 7, you got a brand new state. You got a new nature. In chapter 7, you got a brand new nature. And that Paul says in Romans 7.23, the old new nature fight back and forth. That's the, that's the war between the states. The old nature and the new nature. It's going on right now. It's a civil war inside of you. You have a brand new nature. You've got a brand new state, a new you. And in chapter 8, you've got a brand new strength. The Holy Spirit comes out of you live. You're set up for success. You've got a new standing. You've got a new state. And you've got a new strength. The Holy Spirit inside of you. You're ready to go. You just got to learn how to actuate that. And baptism is a picture of where you start. You reckon yourself, it's as though I died. It's as though I was buried. It's as though I rose from the dead. Amen. Buried in likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of resurrection to walk in newness of life. Romans 6. And by the way, that is water baptism. Somebody tells you it's not water baptism. If that's not water baptism, we have no passage that explains water baptism in the Bible. Okay, you all probably don't, you know, it probably makes total sense to you because you haven't had people play with you on that passage. But they're on the radio, Okay. They're not B-A-P-T-I-S-T, typically, unless they've been drinking at other water fountains. Look at uh, Romans chapter 4. Now, look at this. This is, I said all that to set this verse off and this psalm. Whatever David had done, if this is including the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, and it very possibly could, because of what he's describing is so intense. And remember, in Psalm 51, he didn't say, Restore to me thy salvation. Notice he said, Thy salvation. Thy salvation. It's God's that he gave to us. He did it. He causes you to see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. See, it's God's grace that causes you to see your lost condition. It's God's grace that shows you that it's Christ. And it's God's grace that brings you to a point of trusting. That's what we mean, saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We're sanctified by grace. We serve by grace. Freely given favor, even unto enablement. Okay? Look at this passage. It's amazing. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertained to the flesh hath found? Verse 1, Romans 4. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. What does the Bible tell us? What does the Old Testament say? This proves the Old Testament saints are saved like we are. They look forward to the coming life, death, burial, and resurrection of the God-man. We look back to it. Here's the Old Testament saints. Here's Adam in the Garden of Eden. Got to get all the way back here. He looked forward to the coming Lamb of God. All the Old Testament saints look forward to it. We have the same focal point, we look back to it. Amen? Amen. Same source. Read this passage. Abraham was saved by grace through faith. Paul uses Abraham. For what saith the scripture? What does the Old Testament say? Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, imputed to him, credited him. That word counted is the same as the word imputed. Credited. 
unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Okay? Notice you don't work for it, it's a gift. Notice the word counted, credited, imputed, transferred. Now look at verse 6. He is going to go back and he's going to quote Psalm 32, which we started with a few minutes ago. Even as. Here's an additional illustration of what God said about Abraham. Here's one, David. And here is the doctrine, the mechanics I want you to get. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without what? Works. God credits you with righteousness without works. I'm walking down the street. You see me and say, hey, Brother Stewart, if you'll mow my yard, I'll give you $50. I'll say, you're not giving it to me. I'm earning it if I'm mowing your yard. If I'm walking down the street, you say, Brother Stewart, I'll give you $50. I'll say, what I got to do? Nothing. I said I'd give it to you. That's a gift. Okay? Blesses the man whom the Lord will, will uh, uh, to whom God imputeth credit that transfers righteousness without works. Now watch this. Saying, quoting Psalm 32, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. We read that. Look at the next one. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute what? You know why you can't lose your salvation? Because once you get saved, God never credits sin to your account again. Brethren, Jesus would have not died on the cross if God hadn't done that. If God's going to put your sins back on you, then Christ would have never died on the cross. Christ never sinned. Did Christ ever sin in thought or deed? Which one of you convinced me of sin, he says to his enemies? Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife says, have nothing to do with that just man. The centurion said, surely this was the son of God. This was a righteous man. Judas said, I've betrayed innocent blood. Amen? Amen. He never sinned for the cross. Father, forgive them. He loved us as much as he loved himself. What's the Ten Commandments? Ten examples of loving others as yourself. It's not just God's rule. It's God's very nature. He loves you as much as he loves himself. That's why he gave his son. For God so loved the world. Our sins were imputed to Christ or he would not have died. And if your sins were credited to Christ, then they can't be credited to you. You want proof? He left them in the grave. Living he loved me. Dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified. Romans chapter 4 says, when God raised from the dead... We were justified. The resurrection put the New Testament in force. Once you're saved, your sins cannot be credited to your account. Amen. And David wrote that probably after the sin with Bathsheba Amen. and had her husband killed. That's why once saved, always saved. Amen. Quite a psalm, isn't it? Paul thought so. Pastor, you come. Amen. Let's all stand. Have a verse invitation. Hymn 153, I surrender all. Hymn 153, I surrender all. Blessed is the man whose iniquity is not imputed to him. And what a merciful God we have. And what a gracious Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message tonight. And we thank you for this great truth. We thank you, Lord, that you've saved us for eternity.
And Lord, we can lay our head down on our pillow tonight knowing that if we were to die, heaven would be our home. We thank you so much for that. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, hymn 153 as we sing. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.